Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach, Jordana Michelle, and if you're interested in finding your soulmate so you can be best friends who learn and grow together and share dreams together and have adventures together and have amazing sex together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with awesome resources like my guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a how-to guide for finding your lesbian soulmate, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes that most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and since I'm a great matchmaker and I might already be connected with the woman of your dreams, I also offer everyone a free survey you could fill out so that I can keep you in mind as I meet the extraordinary women just like you through the work that I'm doing in our community. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. But before I go any further, I want to introduce you to an interesting character in our community who you probably haven't heard of before unless you're part of a big corporation. I'm talking about Jennifer Brown. And what's so interesting about her is this trick maneuver she pulls on unsuspecting homophobic corporate types all over the country. What Jennifer does around the country is she gets up on stage in front of huge crowds of powerful, conservative, mostly white men. And it's easy for her to get their attention and make them comfortable because she's this beautiful, super femme, blonde Barbie doll who would be played by like Kristen Bell or Reese Witherspoon if we made a movie about her, seriously. And she looks exactly the way that typical old conservative white men would expect and want women to look. So she gets on stage and of course they're happy to see her and they let their guard down because she's great. And then she tells them she's a lesbian, which basically blows their mind. And then she uses their shock as a way to wake them up and break down stereotypes and expose the many layers of insensitivity that people of privilege don't always realize we have. So that's why Jennifer Brown is so amazing. I think a huge part of how much LGBT lifestyles are accepted in any given culture is a function of how visible and integrated LGBT people become in that culture, especially in pop culture and mass media. And in recent years, being out has gotten so much easier in the United States, where according to polling, the majority of the population supports gay marriage, for example. And I'm convinced that the reason this happened is largely because of how many LGBT characters we get to see all over pop culture and popular film and popular television, and that has just been steadily increasing over the past 10 years. When I first came out, there were no popular movies or shows with lesbian characters, but now there are tons. Um, and they're being portrayed by some of the most famous actresses in the world. Like, like think about the movie The Kids Are Alright. We had Julianne Moore and Annette Bening playing this happy lesbian couple raising children together. That was a really popular movie. Um, in, in Black Swan, we have Mila Kunis and Natalie Portman ripping each other's clothes off in a sex scene. Um, in Carol, we had Kate Blanchett playing the lead, a beautiful lesbian. And that's just to name a few. These are some of the biggest stars in our country. And not only are lesbian characters 
more fun for women like us to watch, but they bring us into the awareness of the general population in a way that helps everyone just get used to having us around. And that's the role that Jennifer Brown sneaks in to play at these corporations. She's the one personally walking in and breaking down those walls for us within corporations. And in this interview, we get to hear all about what it's like for her to play that role on behalf of our community. Jennifer Brown is an award-winning entrepreneur, dynamic speaker, and diversity and inclusion expert. She's the founder, president, and CEO of Jennifer Brown Consulting, a strategic leadership and diversity consulting firm that coaches business leaders worldwide on critical issues of talent and workplace strategy. Jennifer is a passionate advocate for social equality who helps businesses foster healthier, more productive workplace cultures. Her book is called Inclusion and subtitled Diversity, the new workplace and the will to change inspires leadership to embrace the opportunity that diversity represents and empower advocates to drive change that resonates in today's world. She's amazing. Uh, she's really fun to listen to. I love this interview. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with the amazing Jennifer Brown. Jennifer Brown, thank you so much, my friend, for being here. I'm thank so, you. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Um, I get to turn you around to a different side because every time I get to see your amazing work, it's always in front of corporations where you're standing up as the voice for our community, uh, speaking to the people of privilege, the people of power, and showing them how to handle and respect and do it and, and, and create change for our community. Um, but right now I'm kind of turning you around and instead of talking to them, let's just talk to us for a minute. Talk back I love to, it. to the community that you serve and, um, and learn from you and hear your perspective. Off the record. A little <laughs> off the record conversation, even though it's, uh, even though it's, it's very much on the record. <laughs> That's so, right. So what's so interesting about the role you play is that nobody would ever know when they see you. I remember when I met you, I don't know what sort of LGBT networking event we were at, but yeah. I was a young lawyer. I had just started my law practice and I thought you were the coolest, prettiest person I'd ever seen in my <laughs> life. And I was like, who is this oh, person? You. And you just seem so like perfect, like a Barbie doll walking around. <laughs> um, and which also because you walk on stage and everyone like who wouldn't be happy to see you? You're like this ball of sunshine. So um, you know, which is great because in a lot of ways you're welcome on any stage, but then I think can also be interesting because in a lot of ways you, you kind of pass, right? And I think there's just been interesting things that have come out of that for you. I'd love to hear you talk about it because you have such interesting things to say about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been interesting to find my place in the LGBTQ community, which technically I'm a part of, <laughs> not just technically, um, you know, I have a female partner of 23 years and I came out when I was 22 and I'm not going to do any more of the math for you, but, um, it's been a long time. Um, and when I came out, I came out, I mean, it was a very definitive decision for me. Um, because I think on a, on the sexuality continuum, you know, we're all somewhere on this continuum and, you know, I'm, you know, no different. I'm so, I'm probably, you know, there's nobody that's all gay and all straight. We're all somewhere in the middle. Um, for me, it was as much of a discovery of my political identity as it was being open to having romantic relationships with, um, the same sex. And I think that's, it's, um, a lot of people don't talk about that. Um, a lot of people probably would describe their sexuality as something they knew since they were age five or whatever. I would never put myself in that category. I, 
you know, if my heart loves someone, I want to see it through, you know, I want to honor that. And when I fell in love with women, started to fall in love with women through high school and college, I still had lots of boyfriends because frankly, it was really easy to get boyfriends (laughs) and that was like not complicated. Um, but, but like I did feel there was something else and perhaps another destiny for me. And I think maybe the difference is I had the privilege that if, if I chose that path, that the bottom wouldn't drop out of my life otherwise. Right. So I think, I think of the privilege I've had to have a loving family throughout to have a solid, you know, socioeconomic picture, um, to, uh, somehow have, you know, never, ever question whether I was employable or whether I would be able to keep a job or not. Um, I was an opera singer in my twenties and also an activist. So, you know, those worlds are not worlds where you're not going to get, you're going to get fired and you lose your job, um, because you're LGBT. So, you know, just a lot of privileges that allowed me to navigate between all these worlds. But, but I do want to say that the political self my political self is a huge part of who I am. Um, political with a small p, meaning dedicating my life to activism, honoring my story, which was a, a rather political act as a woman that looks the way that I do. I think uh, I was I was kind of aware that that was a really powerful and provocative choice for me, and I felt I felt it was re- I somehow probably deep down knew. I would need to use my voice and myself as a role model for my truth. And that if I don't look like someone that is in the LGBTQ community, that perhaps that was, um, perhaps that was really important. And, and I just love the, the community is one that I'm so proud of. I mean, I just think it's the most, I mean, it has its problems like every community, but when I discovered the courage of LGBT people and the, the reclaiming of gender truths, the way we want to love, the way that we want to express our gender, the the fight for rights, the way that, um, you know, we want to honor humanity and all of humanity. And, and honestly, I mean, before I even became an expert on inclusion, that community was really like fighting that fight. And I, from the very beginning when I came out and I discovered that that was like a tradition that I could jump into that and become part of that. I found it really exciting. I think it's, I think it's really cool to be an outsider. Some, you know, and, and, and for someone who's the ultimate insider, I think in many ways, like I was an M because of my ethnicity and my socioeconomic background, for example, uh, that there was a piece of me that was an outsider and it has taught me so much humility and resourcefulness and creativity and emotional intelligence and like, I would, I would wish that everyone, and this is not just a wish, it's a, it's a fact that we are all at some level an outsider to something, to some expectation, to some norm. And, you know, if you, if you really look at that and you jump into that and you think about like, how can I inhabit, if I can inhabit multiple worlds, it just makes you like more of a, gives you more range as a human being, as a friend, as a family member, as a professional, all of that. So that's, I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, Jordana, but I love it. I love it. There are so many things that are in there that I want to unpack. Um, One of them I do think is something I can resonate with where yes, we're coming out and yes, it's scary, but yet there's this floor as you describe it. And I can relate to this too, coming from a loving family, 
being in a relatively privileged socioeconomic situation, and I was in law school at the time, so I was highly employable um, as an intelligent person. So there was a certain bottom that was not threatened to me, um, and not everyone is so lucky. Um, and I, I think that I can also relate to this experience that I never thought of it that way until you said it, and it's really stood out to me, was finding out that I was gay and realizing now all of a sudden because I'm so different, I, but in some ways because of who I was, because I, I didn't know I was a lesbian at all until the day I knew I was a lesbian, and then I literally just came out that day. I was 23, and it wow. all just made so much sense. And I was like, <laughs> I had never even kissed a girl before, but it just suddenly made sense, and I realized what was happening and why nothing else made sense, and then that made perfect sense, and I was like, oh, okay, that's what it is. And then I just went and dealt with it. Um, and then to some extent, I also realized that I was, I, I took it upon myself and said, I, I'm going to stand strong in this and I'm going to be a role model. I'm not going to be ashamed of it. I'm going to, um, because I can, I'm going to stand up and, and be somebody that others can look up to. Yeah. And, and I don't even know what gave me the audacity to think that anyone would ever look up to me, but because I was, you know, scared right? out of my mind. I never kissed a girl before. I had no idea what I was up against. And I was 23 and just sitting in my apartment at the time. But that was the audacious belief that, that came to me. Mm. But I agree that then going through it, it is cool to be an outsider in some ways. Because I'm like, I'm, I was the opposite of edgy. You know, I wasn't, it's not, I was sort of, you know, I was a good girl. I did what I was supposed to. I worked hard. I got good grades. I was in law school. I wasn't doing anything wild or crazy. And now all of a sudden I'm a lesbian, you know. (laughs) And then suddenly I was a lesbian and and it was, there was something really edgy about it. And uh, I enjoyed that for a minute. And I do think, and another thing I love about what you said is this sense that uh, being an outsider and and facing the difficulty of, of seeing yourself as an outsider can give rise to real creativity and emotional intelligence um, mm-hmm. because of, of just going through that process. And that's something that I teach a lot in my class, Come Out Confidently, and it's an important part of the class, of the emotional intelligence that comes from being an outsider. And mm-hmm. living in multiple worlds is also interesting. I know your partner, Michelle, is from a different culture. Um, my, um, my ex-partner, was from Chile, so living for five years in a, in a culture totally unlike my own, it, it definitely left me a smarter, wiser person, and I, I hadn't thought about the two ways that, that being a lesbian and then also in some ways being able to pass as straight has also given me that privilege. So, And I think all of these things are really interesting the way you say it. Very cool. Yeah, yeah it's really it's interesting, and I know we were going to talk about things like once you do come out, you know, are you recognizable, like by the, by your new adopted community? <laughs> like right. you want to be would in never this. see you and assume right. that right. you're, that you're a part of our community. That was, that was, so what happened when you first came out? Can you like, yeah, well, it's funny. I was thinking, um, there were so few gay women in my world. This was 1993, 92, 93 that um, so few that literally like everyone you knew you had a crush on and you wanted to be with them because they were the only ones you knew. So it wasn't even about like, I love them because of, you know, they're how smart they are. We're like a great fit or like we enjoy the same things. It was literally like clinging to each other because we were so unusual. Um, And, you know, this was 25 years ago. So um, I came out in Boston after my senior year of college and, 
it was a total shock to everyone at college my senior year uh, because like you said it's sort of I, I I I came out I got um had my first girlfriend and I didn't really have an issue with it but it's sort of that wake up call to say wow everybody else certainly has an issue with this and you know, learning that you're an outsider when you hadn't really felt like one, like you didn't have the word for it, but then you realize, wow, I'm really, I'm really taking a different path here. And I'm, I'm kind of rejecting the plan that was in place for me. Can we pause on it though? Cause that's so interesting to me that you didn't <laughs> notice 25 years ago that you decided to have a girlfriend and you didn't think people were going to, can you, <laughs> I didn't, what did you, what did you know. think was going I, on? No, I just I thought maybe I assumed like if everyone were being authentic, there would be a lot more like non-traditional relationships. To me, I was like following my truth. You know, I was actually I was actually really excited to explore my sexuality. Like, so I didn't understand the stigma because I was coming from such a privileged world, I guess. And I hadn't, I just had no knowledge of as a you know, white cisgender um at a largely white college. Um, with a very cushiony upbringing that I hadn't known the sting of even gender. I hadn't known, I hadn't really understood what would happen to me and what happens to the women. Like that was, that was, that kind of flowered, that understanding only flowered when I like graduated from college and kind of stepped out of this bubble that, you know, your parents can keep that for so long, you know, and then you're sort of thrown into, you know, a city and you have your first job and you're making no money and you're trying to find friends and, um, you know, you're living paycheck to paycheck and, you know, it's a really different life. Um, so, uh, I think though that it was like for many parents that kind of picture their kid one way and having one kind of life when you, when you come out to them and particularly somebody that looks like me, where it was a total shock to them, like they had no previous knowledge or they didn't suspect anything you know, that it was, I mean, my mom really loved Miss America. And I think like, I think we used to watch it together and she, that was like her plan. So I had all my lessons and I, you know, I was, I had, yeah, I mean, I had like poise classes and I, I would have loved to be a model and like, I, you know, so there were so many ways in which I was, I, I really did the norm of femininity really, really well. And it's funny that has not changed. Um, my gender identity is squarely in the female side. Like there's, it's not like I'm a secret tomboy, like, or that I felt, you know, I had sort of both, both, um, genders blended together. And like, I, I would never describe myself that way. Um, yeah, I wouldn't describe you as that way either. <laughs> no. And I believe me, I've, I've looked for that because I'm thinking, you know, I know that it's a continuum, gender identity is a continuum as well as sexuality, right? They're just two different continuums. And so given I teach on gender identity and expression these days, I'm very aware, but it's funny, like there's no, <laughs> There's not a lot of guy in me. <laughs> no, you don't um, have that inner dude to call no, upon. No, I, I don't. I, I don't. Do, um, I do way more than you. But I know you so do. Cute. We've talked about this yeah. because you and I could walk down the street and look like two, you know, very feminine, normative women, but we have a very different um, gender identity, like in the in our hearts. And energy. Between. I have more of a boyish energy, but I yeah. can present. I can wear a dress and rock a dress and hot heels like anybody. Um, right. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's very, it's so fascinating. So when I first came out in Boston, you I had tried no shame. It sounds like at all. I, I didn't, but the, but then when I start getting, getting to know like the club scene, because it was, you know, I was in my twenties, it was the clubs were big then. Right. in the pride community, um, 
I would walk in and nobody would think I was part of the community. And, and a couple of times I remember I was like, maybe I need to wear combat boots. Cause that was a thing back then. Um, loose clothes, like baggy jeans, like, um, a sports bra and a white t-shirt. Did it work? Like, it was, it was a total failure. It was like <laughs> ridiculous. And I, I just, I, but I did it because I was like, well, maybe this is the uniform and maybe this is what now I need to do in order to signal that I'm in this community and this is how people dress. And but it's just so funny looking back on it. I'm sure it's so much more nuanced now. Um, I haven't been in the scene forever because I've been with the same partner for 20 years, but, um, uh, but it took me a while when you look around you and all you see is women who are more masculine identified on the spectrum. I, I, it made me kind of doubt my own authenticity. Like where do I fit? And I think Jordana, that's why women that might present our gender in the way you and I do. And we're actually not, we're not lying about it. It is like literally how we feel comfortable. It's so important. Cause I didn't see anyone like that. I was always the most kind of most feminine normative and I thought I was lying to myself or delusional or um, acquiescing to the patriarchy. Like you can get really political about it. Like, right. Like even is now, Jennifer feminine yeah. on the outside because right. the patriarchy <laughs> tells her to. And right, what you're saying exactly. is, no, this is genuinely when I wake up, this I, is I just, so. this. I, I woke up this way is what I you're saying. So. I think so. And I hope it's not a construct and I hope it's not a weakness. Well, everything me. is a contrast. Every thought. I know. I think we all, every thought we in all, our head. But but still, I believe you. I know you. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't think you're hiding anything. But I do think what I find fascinating about this, and this is something I also learned from you that never occurred to me before, this question of are we just presenting ourselves the way that we are because it's more appropriate in the mainstream for us to do so. And what I find so interesting, because I never thought about that question before, but what I do hear a lot from straight friends of mine who... um, I have been, for better or for worse, and I think it's for better, I have committed myself from the minute that I came out to be the person that any straight person can ask any question to, and I won't make them wrong for it. Mm. No matter how unbelievably politically incorrect it might be, I'm the (laughs) place that is safe to ask really stupid questions about lesbians too. Because I really enjoy being a lesbian, and and I really appreciate if a straight person is trying to learn something. And I want to tell them as much as I can and make it fun and cool when they think about lesbians and not something they're mad at. But one of the stupid questions or whatever, if it, it, they can't help it. They are coming from where they're coming from. I, res- mm-hmm. I respect that about them. But one of their huge misunderstandings is what they say is, and they say this about gay men and, gay wo- and, and queer women, is... With gay men, why do they act so flamboyant? Why do they throw it in your face? Or why do those women dress like men? Why don't they just dress like women? And so it's almost the opposite of thinking that some women are purposely just trying to be obnoxious or some gay men are purposely just trying to obnoxiously put it in other people's face that mm. they have a different gender expression. And what I, And what I know for sure, because there is a boyishness inside of me, that it is absolutely not coming from a choice that I make. That's just what happens. That's just me being me. That when I was in sixth grade or whatever, I don't even remember what grade it was, but that I sometimes wanted to wear baggy jeans drooped down, even if I had long hair and maybe put lipstick on, but I'd still want to have certain masculine things about the way that I would dress, or I'd wear a ski hat even in the summer. 
things like that that were just a little bit boyish and it's not because I was trying to upset anybody else it's how I genuinely was expressing myself from the inside and 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 this is one of the things that I try hard to convey to the straight people who ask that I say no 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 you've got it wrong this is just who they are they're not trying to do anything that's just genuinely what they are the reason that these women aren't wearing a dress is cuz they genuinely would feel like it was just wrong on them and I felt that way too sometimes when I was younger there have been times in my life when I was younger where I really couldn't have put on a dress. And if you look at me when I was a little girl, when I was way more tomboyish and, and on the high holidays, I'm Jewish and we would go to synagogue on the high holidays. And there are some pictures of me just mean face. Well, my mom put on, I remember this one purple dress and I'm just miserable. standing there with the most miserable, <laughs> angry face. And it's not because I was trying to piss off the patriarchy. I promise. You know, I just literally. You're too young. You didn't yeah, know. Exactly. Like, I was seven know? or eight years old. And, and all I was thinking was this is wrong. And I should be able, if my brother could wear that cute little suit with his little button down. I want to wear a cute little suit and a button down and it's not fair. And I was mad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then now totally. I really like wearing a dress, <laughs> but the women who also still don't want to wear that dress, I understand that they're not, it's really about them. And this is what I try and to, to convey to people, but it's so interesting your perspective of how they are actually that people within our community are accusing you of the exact same thing on the opposite side of the reason why Jennifer Brown is as feminine as she is, is because in some way she's trying to pass. Or right. Please. And like, yeah, yeah. I think we can be really hard on each other, right? We take, look, we all grew up in this patriarchal culture. Like what, just because you're in the Q community doesn't mean you're like better at inclusion by definition. And I think that's, that's a huge aha for a lot of us, you know, just because you're a person of color doesn't mean that you're particularly enlightened on, you know, on, um, race and ethnicity and diversity. Like it's true. I mean, we have major, major diversity issues in the gay community between, um, gay men and gay women. I mean, many gay women don't want to be in spaces that are dominated by gay men. Um, I think because in some ways still... we're so opposites. I also understand I <laughs> socially why that makes sense sometimes. Like I spent my whole, yeah. I spent my entire evening yesterday evening with a group of my guy, of gay guy friends of mine who came in from LA and I had the most wonderful time. But I also mm -hmm. understand that if I want to go to a lesbian networking event, of course I'm going to be focusing on the lesbians and the men are going to be on the other side of the room focusing on the men. <laughs> right. That's of course how it always happens. I know we do. We do. We have like little sub tribes within, within the tribe. Um, but even but within no. lesbians too, I think girls are clicky. And, we are. We are. That is true. And I think that's, that's a really interesting quote. Just because we're queer doesn't mean we're better at inclusion. Right. Yep. And I can tell you that because I teach classes in corporate um, with all LGBTQ people, like 30 of them for a couple days. And we have a lot of conversations about that. And I and I, we find that the gay men in the room haven't really thought about the lesbian experience at all. Like if you ask them about the things you and I are talking about, they, they don't have a, a deep knowledge about it. Um, and so like how, I guess, how can you be inclusive when you don't understand and have empathy and can describe issues that are faced by people within your own community too? Like that's inclusion. We have to, we have to walk that path uh, with each other and do that well, you know, before we can then bring that message to the world. But it's kind of a, it's kind of our dirty laundry. Um, but I think and so I'm it's guilty. Really, I don't understand the experience of the gay man. I can't claim to be an expert on the G the male yeah, the G, part of my, the G. Of or my yeah, community. and none of us are expert on the T and the B. But how even, can you we know, be? you know, we we just gotta walk the walk. Like if I then this is another thing, right? I don't think that I'm here to serve I can't possibly serve everybody. I don't you're right. I I'm here to give 
relationship advice about the kinds of relationships that I know to the best of my heart's ability so that I can help the people who can relate to me. There are plenty mm -hmm. of people out there who can't relate to me and they wouldn't take advice from me and nor should they. They should find someone who's more like them who can understand their experience more. So for example, um, I happen to be relatively femme. I like to be with women. I'm attracted to women who are similarly feminine. Um, and, and so a lot of my relationships, it's not, I don't do, there's not one of us who's one role and then another who's the other. We so I sort of tend to be all the things, the mm -hmm. nurturer, the nurtured, the, mm -hmm. the caregiver, the cared for, the, um, the one who goes out and gets it done and the one who receives, you know, I'm, I'm all things. Um, mm. But I know that there are also plenty of women in our community who like to maybe couple uh, uh, in a more um, polar, pol like a, with, among polarities where one partner mm -hmm. is more mm -hmm. one role and then another partner is more another role. And maybe a woman who's going to be in a relationship like that can't take advice from me because I'm not really speaking to her reality and or to the reality of that couple situation and that's okay um and so and i can't promise that i'm going to be the best place for gay men to get advice you know we have to sometimes i think speak to our community so i think it's also okay if the gay men fight for the gay men and, and what they need because i'm sure that they have a very uncomfortable reality in a lot of ways it, it oh must God, be yeah. very very hard to be a gay man for sure um and um and, and i think in some way we, we can't save everybody you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I would only add that um, I'm so because of the work I do, I think a lot about what I call allyship, um, because, you know, I, I think uh, we can use our voices for those that, who might be marginalized within our own communities. Right. As a start, it's a great, great and important place to practice those skills. Um, and that's, you know, again, this may resonate with some listeners and not everybody. So it's not not everybody's cup of tea. Um, but I, I have always identified as an activist. And so for me, the question always is, you know, how can I do in the areas that I am more comfortable and I can pass and can get into rooms and have courageous conversations um, where somebody else might not be able to do that in my community? How can I how can I um, convey their story? Protect as many specific, people as possible. Yeah. yeah, convey their story and yeah, and carry their experience. And it's not my experience. Like the trans experience is not my experience. The gay man of color experience is not my experience, for example. But like, I, these are the, these are the statistics I stare at all day in my consulting work too. So like, I know them. And I think that, um, if I have a voice and I have the privilege and the, and the permission and the access to have a bigger conversation and maybe people aren't threatened when they look at me and they say, well, she's, she doesn't, I don't trigger, I don't tend to trigger people because I fit a norm of what a woman, you know, in many people's minds, what a woman should look like. And there's like, I'm, I'm like 10 asterisks after that. Trust me. You know, I don't like it any more than anybody else, but I also want change. And I think we all have a different role to play in change. Like some of us can be a voice and be that person that gets into the castle walls and then tells the truth and does it in a way, like you said earlier on, that doesn't put people in, back them into a corner, but actually, you know, does not shame, but acknowledges, you know, our common humanity and, um, you know, does things with grace and love and you can create a lot of change with that. So I, I do that as an ally and for me, ally, it's funny cause I'm in the LGBT community and I always say like, I need allies, like I need straight allies. 
um, to do so much of what, what I need to do and to be protected and supported. And, um, but I am an ally because of my ethnicity, I'm in the privilege group. So I'm an ally to people of color. I'm an ally to my trans brothers and sisters and anybody who is um, not being heard or talked about or understood. And, um, so I carry those messages with me and I just would encourage everybody listening here to look at, look at the mix of what you were born with or what you've acquired over the course of your life. And think about there are, there are elements of you that need that support because you cannot speak or you cannot be safe and you need the help of, of another to be able to do that. But there's other areas, all of us have a level of privilege that we can be exercising on behalf of someone who can't speak as freely as we can, who um, doesn't need to take as much, we don't need to take as much risk as they do in terms of telling the truth. And I think there's a lot of us in the gay community that could activate our around our privilege, whatever that means. Um, so I would just give that to your listeners, like to think about as a concept, because you know, it's easy to also get very lost in the gay community and never come out of that community, like to make it your whole world. And uh, I think gay people actually, because of our experience, we have a lot to teach in the world, but we have to, we have to leave the the safe harbor of like, oh my God, I finally found my people. And, you know, I'm just going to go to Fire Island every weekend and you know, be in a sea of gay men, you know, and that's like, that's my friend group and that's my, my work world or whatever, you know, and there's, there is, I think, I think because we've been through a war and we continue to go through a war in terms of our own rights and safety and all of it, we've learned so much. And like, what good is that if we're not out in the world teaching from that playbook, like to other communities that have, that are facing similar discrimination. So, um, yeah, I would think about, if that awakens something in you, um, I think you really love my first book, which is kind of a call to action. And I do think gay people are very special teachers in the world. And I've come to that because like Jordana, you and I were saying, like we inhabit, we inhabit so many different parts of our society, like whether that's our, in our gender expression or our gender or, um, you know, all the things that make us a diverse community as well. Like we, we, we can build bridges in a really unique way. And uh, I, I think there's a lot of wisdom that could be, could be used um, for the benefit of many, many others, probably more than we've even considered. Um, like, what's all this struggle for? <laughs> is, it, is the struggle just to like, oh, phew, I'm through that. I never want to think about that again. And like, now I'm going to go off and live my life and, you know, kind of disengage. And that hasn't been my choice, obviously. I think gay people... I think lesbians especially because gay men they when we when they socialize there tends to be so much more options of places to go in New York City yes. right there's so much more diversity of places they can go so they could actually if they want to um, be less diverse they have an option to because they can go to a bar for their flavor mm. but mm. for lesbians in the city there are maybe three bars that we can go to and <laughs> fewer all the time and when oh you walk God. in there are um, there are women of every age range there are women of every gender expression. Mm -hmm. There are women of every color of the rainbow, mm. every country you can imagine. Yep. And yep. every culture. Yep. Being a part it's of the lesbian cool. community is so much more colorful. And I love that the rainbow is what we get to have as our symbol because we are a rainbow. We are, we are special in that way. I think that is something very cool about our community. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's really, it's a special group and we, we really do well 
I think we really do well in the workplace, which is a little bit of a, I guess, maybe contradictory to what we might believe about ourselves. You know, if we look at pay data or, you know, how much lesbians make on the dollar and, and then, you know, add, you know, women of color who are also queer, um, compounding that, you know, so we're, we are familiar with the, the statistics about like, which aren't good, we which are not good. Cause not good. Tell me, can you tell, can you just share the t- statistics if people don't know? Oh uh, yeah. Oh gosh. I should know these, but, um, if women make 80 cents on the dollar overall, and I'm not sure that's the exact number, but you get the gist and women of color make less than that as a percentage. Um, and so you have to look at that through the lens of gender and ethnicity as well. But I mean, the, the overall trend in the current state is we are nowhere near, um, pay parity and that it is worse for people of color than it is for white people. And it's worse for women than it is for men. So, right. That much I I am very familiar with, but my question is, you know, the statistics on lesbians. Oh, you know what? I don't think we're studied. To your point, <laughs> like we are, we are the like tiniest, like statistically, I know that we're out there. Of course. I, I wonder, it's very interesting. Like gay men have this, have a coming out process that kind of feels different than it does for women. And I think whether it, they're more numerous in reality or whether they are more visible. And so we assume the community is bigger. Um, there, you know, statistically there has to be as many gay men gay women as gay men. There has to be. But in every workforce I'm in, every client I'm in, it is the rare thing for me to see female leadership in the LGBT network at a company. And it's rare for me to walk into a mixer, for example, um, and see an equal number of, uh, of men and women. Like, and we all talk about it a lot. You know, you and I, Jordana, we've been hanging out with our you know, women friends and puzzling over. Because we're the same little group that always shows up. I mean, there's a reason we hang out. It's because we're the ones who are there. Yeah, like, I know. It's like, and this is New York. This is New York. Like, where are the women? And and it's it's a real, and the, the clubs are disappearing. But I do think, too, that clubs are disappearing because, they, you know, there are more of us that don't go to clubs for our, you know, recreation or whatever, you know. And, I, and we have online now. Remember, clubs were the place, the only place that you could go and meet other gay women in the 90s were clubs. I mean, th- there was one gay bookstore in Boston. And I remember feeling like when I discovered it, like the heavens opened up. I mean, I was, I was, I kind of snuck in there. I remember being like, does anybody see me coming in? (laughs) And then once you're in there, you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe all this literature that I didn't know. And this was before the web. This was before all of it. And so it was very clandestine. There was something really, there was something really special about those times, like not to get nostalgic because I know there were some not great things about those times for so many of us, but, but it was very, it felt like a clandestine secret society and there were good things about that because you felt you were kind of you against the world. Like, and when you found people, you really cherished them because it was so, it, the world was so stacked against you finding each other. I mean, so many of us can just hide in plain sight, you know, and many of us did and do. And so how do you really see the community of women? Like, who are we? Where are we? And the fact that, you know, the same people show up to all this stuff in New York and it's a pretty small group is you know, that I don't know. I never, ever have like understood whether perhaps women don't network like men. I mean, this is a whole other topic if you want to get into it, but I think that, um, women in general, maybe they they just want to stay home. Yeah. I mean, they, 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 I think they run their careers 
like differently. I think, you know, I noticed the men, all men, not just gay men, but men behave differently. They network, they connect each other differently. They open doors for each other differently. It's like they, uh, they, um, they they play the game of business in a very, very fundamentally different way, I think, than a bunch of women, queer or otherwise, that you throw in. Like, we would probably chat, build relationships, hang out, um, have a very personal relationship. But the commercial side of really that, like, I'm going to introduce you to this person because I think you'd be a great fit for this, and I'm going to go ahead and do that, like, when I get back to my desk. <laughs> like, I think that's what the men are always doing for each other. Like, it's just this language. And uh, women need to, you know, we've talked endlessly, and there's so many books about, like, like, how do we work our network? Like, how do we become a power player? And is it okay for women to play that way? You know, yeah, I love, I, that's my game. I'm always all about I know. making the relationships. I'm a matchmaker. I'm a connector. So great. I don't know. I, I didn't, I never until this moment considered that to be part of my masculine side. Well, <laughs> and it, it, it shouldn't just be the province of men, but remember the business We're, world. But you know, the Yentas, yeah. I don't even, the introducers, That that's a female character. Well, yeah. And it so should be, you know, uh, but I think in the in a male. So in my background, this is a feminine characteristic, and I'm going to stand by. This is actually my feminine side. Maybe I, I like that. I like that. Yes. Yeah, you should definitely say that. Yeah. And me too. But what I do think it, with with men, they're better at, and this is something that I'm not great at. When I go up and say who I am and what I've created and what I have to offer, I like to play it on the conservative side. I don't want to overpromise and ever risk underdelivering. Whereas I think that my guy friends are better at stating the full extent of what they could potentially do. <laughs> oh, yes. We tell this story all the time. Like when women go out for a job, they feel they have to have like 100% of the qualifications before they put throw their hat in the ring. And uh, uh, guys will be like, eh, I can figure it out. You know, I might not have done it before, but, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You know, and. Honestly, there's, it's not just hubris. It's also that women are terrified of failing because, because we know that like all the circumstances around how we, you know, move in the world, um, are not necessarily in our favor. So for us to take a risk, it, it, to me, it comes along with like so much extra baggage and so much extra risk. So I don't blame women for not playing bigger. I also think Sheryl Sandberg, for all of you that uh, might've read Lean In, the whole likability question, like women are actually ambitious women who show their ambition and play that game are viewed as less likable, not just by men, but by women, especially by, so especially we, by women, especially by, so we, we are very harsh with each other in terms of like how narrow the lane is about what's acceptable behavior. And I think as a gay woman though, Jordan, I'd love your thoughts. I think we have an extra pass. It's very interesting. I, my theory is there's more, actually there's more gay women in executive leadership roles in corporate than the, the population norm, because, uh, not more than straight women, but I think there's a higher percentage of gay women in higher level roles, because, um, when you are someone who's outside of that expected paradigm, you have the ability to speak truth and be strong in a different way. And no one's going to try to, um, call you on inappropriate behavior for your gender. You know how they will do, it's the straight jacket, you know, straight. Right. They jacket. can't call me a lesbian <laughs> if I already am. Well, yeah. And they can't, um, 
there's a level of the fact that we've stepped outside of the expectations for women in our society and that we're sort of blazing our own path makes us more courageous, I think, just by virtue of surviving, um, enables us, I think, to live close to our truth and honor that truth and kind of be accountable to our authenticity, um, less compromising and less uh, willing to put up with the um, BS kind of dynamics whereby, you know, the, the patriarchy um, expects us to behave in a certain way. And we're, we're not even in that system anymore. Like when I came out, I realized I am blazing a path and there's not a lot of, um, there's not a model for me to follow. Totally. Like, there was no one from my nothing. community who had come out before who showed no. me what it could be like to be a girl like me from where I was right. from, right. having a There's beautiful nothing. relationship with another female where other people yeah. respected and accepted it. There was no exactly. model. What no I model. think is interesting about, you know, I have no idea the statistics of whether there are more queer females in leadership positions or whether there's anything true about that statistically, but it wouldn't surprise me in the same way that, well... How can I say this? I think that when we come out, we are taking a huge risk and we're learning our skills in coping with the unknown, with big challenges and with big risks. Mm -hmm. And once we have developed those skills, which we inevitably do by coming out and not dying as a result, right? we then have those skills we could take with us towards everything else that we do. Right. And right. So and, I'll, and don't and like don't underestimate the the self-reliance piece, because we if you live in a male dominated culture, the assumption is, at least in my white culture, it's the the man as caretaker. And I grew up hearing that and believing that that would be my journey. Right, that right? you have a man taking care of you. Yeah, and I didn't see that I would be a career woman. I didn't see that I would have my own business. I didn't see that I would be the breadwinner of my home. The breadwinner. That's a which big I one. am. Yeah, it's a scary I had scary no one. role models, not in my parents, none. And literally when you cast off all of the expectations of your gender, like I did in my, um, right before I came out, I had my first feminism class. And it it shifted my world 180 degrees. I mean, it was literally like, Oh my God, I am like unwittingly participating in my own, my own demise. <laughs> Literally, like I, it all just became clear. I was like, wait a second, somebody else is deciding who I'm going to be in this world. And, and I'm being prepared to marry someone and have them, have them kind of remove the need for me to figure out who I am, figure out how to make money in this world, figure out what I'm great at, establish myself. Like it, I had no choice. When you step out of that, there is no one that's going to help you. There is no one that's going to define that for you. You cannot, you can, I mean, certainly not all gay women choose to be working professionals. So I acknowledge that. But for me, it was a huge flip in terms of like, oh my God, I have to figure this out yeah, because no one is going to give it to me. Shoulders. It was huge. Yeah. yeah. It's huge. Yeah. And like, I know because I see people in my own family and others who, from an identity perspective, it's so easy in our society to slip into the stay-at-home parent identity. Like, so easy. It's hard for women to battle through the headwinds that we have to battle through to become professionals, to become business owners, to me anyway. Felt like I had to push really hard through that and I had no choice. I mean, I had no choice because no one was gonna answer those questions for me. And I had to bring the money in. like. I had to like, and, and I didn't know if I'd ever have a partner. And so how am I going to, 
how am I going to take care of myself? How am I going to feed myself? How am I going to, you know, create wealth? Like, you know, so it's just, it's a whole, the formative, it's so formative and it's so important for women. And I really, really wish all women could on some level go through what gay women go through, which is that no one is going to answer these questions for you. You must answer them for yourself. What are you going to put into the world? What are you going to create? How are you going to be generative? How are you going to lead? You know, what does it mean to be a leader? And I'm not saying everybody, you know, has to become the CEO of a company. <laughs> you know, you can lead in a variety of places, you know, in your life. But, um, but for me, honestly, if I hadn't had to solve all of this, as a matter of survival, I would not be here running my own business. I can tell you that. I can tell you that for sure. I would be married to a guy not working, uh, probably a mom. And I might be at this age right now wondering like, oh, is this who I was meant to be? And it's so much bigger than sexuality. Honestly, it's like, as women in general in our society, we don't have a voice. We don't even have the ability to hear ourselves. We don't, we do not think of ourselves as creators, like of commercial opportunities or wealth or businesses. Like I did, I just like happened into this because like I, I had to do it. Like I had no choice to survive. So I just think, I, I think that yet another gift of coming out is the separation from the, all the expectations. Um, it's leaving all that behind. And that's saying like, who am I going to be at the end of the day? Um, you know, what do I want to stand for? And when nobody else is defining that for me and I'm the one that has to define it for myself and that what might've been really unpleasant and scary, but it, it has given me like my professional life. I mean, it's given me like the, my most, one of my most treasured things, which is the company that I've created and the work that we're doing. So, wow. I mean, and, and I, I'm for sure that that wouldn't have happened. So I don't know what that means. I just think that I, uh, we women are in a really, we're still in a really tough spot in terms of finding our voice. It should not take like a tragedy or um, being cut off potentially from your family and like living your truth to become, you know, someone who creates something, you know, it shouldn't come out of that. It should come from like the way we talk to our girls to say, you can be anything you want to be. And we want, you need to be strong in the world. You need to tune out those other voices and figure out like, what is your destiny? Like, what are you here to do? And what's, what are your towering gifts and what do you want to create? And I don't know if anyone spoke to me that way. Well, I think that really points also back to our school system in a big way, not necessarily mm -hmm. even just to girls, but to all the poor little humans that have to go through our school system that oh, breaks God, our yeah. curiosity and says, instead of asking, what do you want to create? What are your skills? What are your dreams? What are you interested in? How can we hijack your interests to teach you more skills? there's so much more we could do with education. Instead, we say to kids, how about you memorize this stuff that you're never going to need <laughs> and we'll make, and you better sit still and be quiet while you do it. And if you have any problem with that, we'll give you Adderall. And, oh my um, God, yes. So I think that for me, prior to the issue, when I look back and see where my voice wasn't found, I don't, I, I don't think it was as much about me being a girl as, as it was about the entire school system really um, mm. torturing me and 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 taking my spark of curiosity and just exhausting me and, and the competition and uh 
And the competition towards something that totally didn't matter, which was what SAT scores and getting better grades in this class where we had to memorize stuff that I was in no way interested in. And if I look back on all the things that inspired me when I was little that got that went nowhere because there was no time because I really, really, really had to memorize the social studies and, you know, the, whatever this 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 fact pattern that I just absolutely had to memorize and that took precedence over everything else. And I think that that hurts a lot of little girls. Another thing that hurts a lot of little girls is something you talked about before. Um, was the way that women police each other. I don't know if you're the one who used the word, but mm -hmm. I really mm -hmm. um, I really love the work of a woman named Rachel Simmons, who happens, I believe, to be also a queer female, and she's based in Boston. She wrote a book called Odd Girl Out, and she has another one that came out that I'm forgetting the name of. But she's super interesting, and what she talks about is um, that the worst insult, she, she teaches a lot about girl bullying and the ways that girls are mean to each other. And when girls are little, one of the biggest insults that little girls can give to each other is saying, you know, she thinks she's all that. Yes. Because it's sort of a way that girls police each other. So it's not that guys are upset when a girl stands up and takes a lead. It's that other girls are going to beat her down sort of. And I think that that's a very interesting thing. We don't really appreciate when girls stand in their total confidence and total power because girls are competitive with each other. And, and it's actually very natural for competition to exist in nature. If you look at all of our all of our animal relatives in the, in the animal kingdom females beat each other up males beat each other up for dominance and then the more dominant male and female get more access to food more access to resources this is a, a matter of survival and it's a survival instinct that we have inside of us um, but when males compete a lot of time in 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 human society males are allowed to compete the old-fashioned way by being physically mm -hmm. aggressive the alpha male mm -hmm. is usually the strongest most athletic if you look at little boys, but females are not allowed to take our aggression out physically. We're told we're supposed to be nice. We're supposed to be good little girls. So our aggression comes out in these alternative ways, like socially saying, well, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I'm not your friend anymore, or I'm not inviting you to my birthday party or just whispering about girls behind their back. And it's this, uh, it's, since we can't just fight over who's the physically dominant one, there are it's a constant scheming to bring other girls down because mm -hmm. of our natural competition and what she mm -hmm. says is if we could just learn to be a little bit more to own a little bit better our jealousy and our competition and turning to our friend and saying <laughs> damn you're so hot and powerful it's making me really feel jealous right now and and just you can just own that about yourself for a minute um maybe we That'd can be have amazing. better relationships it's so interesting that she might be a queer woman author you you said and she's writing about that. I wonder, I just wonder she if it's different for... about it in, 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 in homosexual relationships. I'm going to try and get her on my podcast and I think she could, yeah. do but I know she's That's in the middle so of a, a book launch for something else. I don't know if it's the best time to ask her, but I really yeah. want to have a long conversation <laughs> with her. Yeah. She's, uh, she's pretty phenomenal. Her book, Odd Girl Out, it, it blew my mind and I recommend it to everybody. It's so interesting. Yeah. And I, I think, um, I would imagine straight women are a bit more, um, caught up in that dynamic. Uh, again, maybe queer women are a step outside of it a little, or maybe a lot. I'm not sure. I would be curious what everybody thinks. But um, again, you're sort of going it alone. And I think there's so few of us. So it's really, I, I feel a tremendous solidarity in our community with, for each other. It like within the workplace, yeah, but not at a lesbian bar when you might be right, going after right, the same Right, right. That's trick. true. That so, is very true. You know, you're you're that's still you talking to the corporate world and we're not there right now. We're Yeah, we're, exactly. We're you're in, in the bar. Living room. Yeah, we're in the bar right now. So totally. we're, we're we're not at work right now. Woo. I like talking about relationships. And another interesting thing you you brought up before that I didn't want to um, kind of let you get away. I wanted to kind of address it with you. 
you, you've talked now twice about the the early days of being queer and and almost just holding on to whatever woman you could find because there was nobody else. And there are probably women who are going to listen to this podcast that are maybe in India or in other countries where they're living in that reality right now because they can't be openly gay. And and I think it's interesting. And one thing I want to say is that's never an excuse to stay in a bad relationship. (laughs) Oh, that's good advice. Because I know maybe you had a great girlfriend back then, but I know a lot of people who back in those days when they just simply thought to themselves, if I lose you, there is nobody else. That's a not, that's not a good mentality to have when you're in a relationship, especially um, trying to make sure you get treated the right way. Never settle. There are plenty of women. It's not true what Jennifer said, that it's the last woman you'll ever meet. There are hot lesbians everywhere. Yes, there are. And that was years ago, you know, and I didn't know. I mean, I think the internet has totally changed everything. And, um, you know, we don't have to dress in like binary ways I think that that all of that has become much more fluid and it's been... Or do we in the workplace? Because that's something you have to speak about that you know a lot about is, you know, how is it in the workplace? You know, is it okay for women to present however they want in corporate worlds? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Like dress in the workplace. Yeah. Um, It's complicated. Um, you know, it depends whether you think that if you're masculine identified in the workplace and the workplace is, is masculine normative, you know, and you happen to be a gay woman, but you prefer to, you know, wear suits and, you know, flat shoes and wear your hair short. Um, does that give you a level of privilege in a male dominated world, even though you're a woman, right? Or if you look like me and you, uh, it's more comfortable to present in a more stereotypically feminine way, um, and you're also a gay woman, does that give you a level of privilege because you're kind of conforming to gender norms, right? So pe- when you walk in the room, people don't have to like adjust quickly to be like, wait a second, she's a woman, but she's dressed more like a man. What does that mean? I mean, I, I think that that cognitive dissonance probably throws a lot of uh, our you know, colleagues off. And um, that could be a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Cognitive dissonance, you know, opens your mind. You know, I think that's the time of some of the most rich um, access to learning and changing hearts and minds. You know, destabilization is really right. good. They say for all repa- change happens outside your comfort zone. That's right. So you make an audience or somebody sitting across from you uncomfortable. I mean, I make people uncomfortable because, of course, I can walk on a keynote stage and pass, and then I come out in the middle of my keynote, right? Therefore making the audience super uncomfortable because 99% of them, it never even crossed their mind. So the the powerful teaching point for me, and this is why even though I may not be in the mood to come out, especially when I'm looking out at a sea of 90% men, which you know has been a reality several times, the last thing I wanna do is draw attention to my supposed like sexual orientation. And Jordana, you and I've talked about this, like it's, it's a double-edged sword because when you're honoring your authenticity, you are also simultaneously inviting through disclosure, you're inviting a level of, um, safety safety questions. Yes. And I, I, you might feel comfortable answering those questions. I I know because you have no fear. I don't like people probing around that stuff, particularly, um, it just feels inappropriate to me. Someone's got to earn the right to do that with me. I mean, I don't not want to educate. I educate for a living, but there's a way I like to be approached um, with sort of for further disclosure. And I really think it's important if you are questioning somebody about who they are, there's a level of, of sensitivity that you need. You cannot put people on the spot. 
you know, just like you can't put your, you know, friend, black friend on the spot about like the black experience. Like you need to do your own work and like be more, more subtle about, um, you know, really making somebody else do all the labor for you to explain to you, like what it's like, like what two, two women do or whatever. Like, so I appreciate the curiosity, but there, there is a level of like, and I don't know if I can really define it. It's more of a feel. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I, yeah. I don't, I definitely don't answer these questions on a stage where there are 90% men in the audience where I'd start talking about my sex life. For sure not. I'm a lawyer, you know, and I can be yeah, that's found not, yeah. online. Most people, right, you know, right. I have a, I have a law firm and a serious background. I'm a serious person. You know, I can't just go doing that. Yeah. Um, but even one-on-one, it can get a little too close for comfort and very I, quickly. But also, I just think what's interesting is just saying that you're a lesbian. Because up until that point, they might not have, I mean, well, maybe they oh, were no. still having sexual thoughts about you. But for you to specifically say, because you could have a whole conversation about, um, you know, book sales and never mention you being in bed with anyone, much less another woman. But by saying I'm a lesbian, it brings up all these other stuff. Now all of a sudden you're talking to a room full of men about sex, whether you like it or not, which is pretty interesting. Which uh, is, is kind of like, to me, that feels like a very risky act. And like, I, I am, a, at the end of the day, I'm a woman, right? And I am, I have safety issues around men, like period, like most of us do walking around on the street. Am I safe? I'm looking over my shoulder. I hear footsteps behind me. I'm going to be like, don't get so close to me. Like, don't be such a jerk. <laughs> like, you, you have to know that like women are walking around this world worrying about a hundred other things that, that most of which would never occur to a man. So, you know, I, I laugh about it, but it's not funny. I mean, for me to stand on stage in front of audiences like that and come out is a very risky act. And I might, I might intellectually be really good at it now because I've done it so many times. And I, but I literally like the stage is a safety barrier for me. And I'm really glad that I'm like hundreds of feet away from people. <laughs> um, and that I'm there in a corporate, uh, guise and I am being paid to be there and I am legitimate and I'm safe because of that legitimacy. But, but in my heart, um, that old fear comes up of being, unsafe as a woman, you know, and, and divulging anything like that, that does introduce like sexual thoughts, like you said, and you know, where, you know, where people are going to go with it and they're not even paying attention to everything else that you say, which is what you're there to talk about, you know? So it's just, it's like being in the heads of your audience. And I think trying to tune that out to the extent I can, because I'm there to talk about so much more and I'm there to be a knowledge expert. Honestly, Honestly, when you listen to this stuff too much, like it really, it takes your power from you, like inside it, it's a pernicious thing that is like, you are, you don't deserve to be here. You aren't the expert that you, I mean, and we already struggle with this as women. We really, really struggle to stand in our power and our knowledge and say, I'm a thought leader in this space. And so to invite anything that is going to cause people to take you less seriously or to think about one part of who you are when you're there to present a very different part of who you are, like that is not what you want to invite. And yet, you know, for me, it's incredibly on the flip side, incredibly important for them to see that this woman is a part of a community. And I completely, it didn't even occur to me that that's who she is. And I'm sitting here in the audience, like how many other people am I working with on a daily basis that I have no idea really who they are. 
And the, so that's the bigger point I try to drive home. And my coming out in front of thousands of people is like, is like you didn't even think it about me. How well do you know everyone around you? And how afraid are they? If I am afraid to do this and I do it for a living, how many people are afraid every single day to be authentic with you? And are you creating a safe space for them to bring their full selves to their relationship with you, whether you're their manager or colleague or client, right? And so I think it's, um, I use myself always as a teaching instrument and I pay attention to what still scares me, even though it really shouldn't, but it's so deep in my bones. And I know, I just know that this is repeating itself in every single hallway in community groups and, you know, everywhere across the world, that fear. Um, and just because I present it like I have control of the fear, it doesn't mean that it doesn't still exist, which is, you know, a good, good reminder that we have a whole lot of work to do. We're so lucky to have you. And, and what's so beautiful about you coming with the fear is that you get to live it in front of these people and see someone that stands there in their vulnerability and speaks to speaks truth to it. Not just you're not just saying I'm a lesbian. You're saying I'm afraid to tell you that I'm a lesbian. And there's something mm -hmm. so vulnerable about it. And how can you not listen to another person when they're standing and speaking honestly about their fears? And that's that's brave in and of itself. It's, it's more brave for you to say I'm afraid than it is even mm -hmm. for you to say that you're a lesbian. I think. Oh, I and think I like that. Maybe I'll add that to my uh, my talking points next time and say, you know, I just disclosed something to you. And I kind of skipped over it, right? It was a detail of my life, like a, just another biographical fact, but, and, but, but disclosing that, even though I do this for a living, I want, I want each of you to know that my heart skips a beat, you know, that I, my palms start to sweat, you know, I feel, I question whether I'm safe. And then, and then I describe it as kind of, um, then you're managing two different you're managing, you're double working because you're not only there to present what you're there to present as an expert, but you're wondering on, you know, in parallel, you're like, what do they think? Are they going to accept me? Are they going to believe what I say? Are they going to be glad that they brought me in? Am I not going to be a fit as a speaker? You know, so you, you're going down that road. So you're living out in real time, yes. the inner experience of what all of the members of their team that may not be represented, that you're there to represent would be feeling and it's a yeah. very meta experience it's very meta i know it's weird it's so, very meta i love that <laughs> i really yeah i hope that. to sensitize them to all that they're not paying attention to all that they aren't prioritizing um in terms of supporting others around them and i think when you have privilege that is the very definition of privilege right that you're like well i'm comfortable why aren't you comfortable and to your to your point earlier uh, when you said like, why do they have to be that way? Why did those men have to be so feminine? Or why does that woman have to not you know, dress like a girl or a woman? Um, those are the things that we hear those and we go underground, like deeply underground. And so I, I you know, when we can challenge that um, and say, hey, I'm a living, breathing person. I, I'm a lot of things. I'm going to knock your socks off today as a keynoter. And I'm going to challenge you and add another example of what a person in this community looks like, what we do for a living, how we speak, how we show up. Um, you know, that feels incredibly important to me. And I, I sort of think my fear has to take a second seat to the importance of what I'm doing. And um, I would imagine a lot of activists um, describe it that way. Um, and that you're always balancing the fear. It doesn't go away. But 
but what matters in the measure of a person is like, you know, what do you, how do you, how do you make it your tool? <laughs> um, and I think I, I working on doing that. Yeah. When you can learn to act in the face of fear in one place, then you can do it in other places too. How you do one thing is how you do everything. Very and true. Uh, overcoming the fear just makes you more powerful. So every time you do this, you become more powerful. And we're so lucky to have a treasure like you working every day on behalf of our community. So I'm so grateful. Thank and I'm, you. I'm so grateful you came on the show. I want to give you the opportunity to let the audience know where they can find you, more resources, what you're working on, what you're excited about. Yes. Okay. So uh, I have a book called Inclusion, the um, Diversity, the New Workplace, and the Will to Change. And that's on Amazon. It's about a year and a half old. And book number two is coming out next April of 2019 on a similar topic, but it's going to be less of, I think, a practitioner book, like the people who are causing change internally in their workplaces. It's going to be much more for sort of a general audience. How do I become more of an inclusive leader, a better ally, et cetera? So that's going to be next year. Um, I'm big in social. I'm on Twitter all the time. So my handle's at Jennifer Brown. Um, I'm on Instagram at Jennifer Brown Speaks. And I would love to see all of you there. Um, and I'm on, of course, LinkedIn and Facebook, Jennifer Brown Consulting. I think you can find me under, which is our consulting side of the business. And uh, my podcast is called The Will to Change. So um, I love, I were on episode 40 and we've interviewed a lot of different people about their diversity stories, of uh, getting very vulnerable um, everyone from um, members of the trans community to authors to white men doing men and masculinity work to, I mean, so many different interesting, amazing people in my network. Um, and we're also creating some episodes about how I've built and run my business, which is something I know deeply about, obviously, in some ways more than diversity and inclusion, um, because I've had to make this work for 12 years now. And um, I've been through some <laughs> hard times. Um, so we're starting to interview me and we're going back through kind of what I put in place in order to grow a scalable services business and all that went into that from sales and marketing to thought leadership to and branding to the even to financial planning and forecasting and how we staffed up, um, how and when we staffed up to build the team that I have now to build a scalable services business. So I'm starting to create some episodes that have to do with that because we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to us as well. So it's not just always the diversity and inclusion conversation, but of course it always, um, that's a thread that runs through everything. So I hope you'll check us out on the will to change it's on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast content. Um, and, uh, thank you, Jordan. I really appreciate this opportunity. This was so fun to speak from a personal level instead of being the expert. So I really appreciate your, the way you framed today's conversation. Thanks. And I was just thinking when you were describing this new podcast episode of, or this new approach to interviewing you and talking about how you grew your business. And I'm remembering back to when we first met and we first became friends when I was very young. I'm, I had just started my law firm. And it was funny because I was building this business that I kind of hated. I was doing litigation at the time. The work itself made me miserable because I knew it made me so miserable. It made me a little uncomfortable getting clients at the time. I was, I'm, I'm a kick-ass lawyer, but I right, didn't love right. the work. And I the remember business. meeting you 
and thinking it was so cool and you were growing this business that you clearly loved and you were kicking ass and I was like, wow, this woman's so cool. <laughs> it's possible. And, it's but possible. you didn't have a podcast for me back then where you were showing me how to do it. No, so, I didn't. Um, so, and it may be, maybe a book in the future yeah, too. Yeah, if you could so send it back to me. Don't count me out on that. If you could send yeah. it back to me in a time machine because I, I have learned, <laughs> I have found my way, on my, I have found my own way the last 10 years, but glad to know that other people will, yeah. will have access to that. So that's Absolutely. really cool. How to be Absolutely. as cool as Jennifer Brown. Oh, very awesome. Thank you. All right, I love my friend. That. I love All you. Right. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for everything, Jordana. And um, I just extend a big hug to your audience because, you know, these are our people. And we. I just really wish that each of you, you know, find your voice, thrive, be fearless, and uh, role model for many, many others that need to see you in the world because there aren't enough of us. So um, however you want to define that. We do need you to shine your light and uh, show yourself. So I look forward to seeing all of that. And isn't there a, an organization that, you, that you're that you involved with right now that you should encourage them to join? Do you want to tell them about LB Women? Or is oh, that... oh, LB Women. Yes, yeah. I would love to do that. Uh, yeah, so so there's a, a small group of women, and I've, I've joined on, and so has Jordana. And uh, it's called lbwomen.org. And it is the only known to me only online directory of uh, women, L women, B women, any self-defined woman is welcome on the platform. And um, basically it's mostly UK and US women now, but we're looking to really expand it. And they have an incredible mentor program for uh, uh, gay and queer women to be mentored and also looking for uh, mentees as well. So if you're interested in that, um, but really the most important thing is to engage with the community, go to the website, get yourself in the directory. It's an incredible global community of women that literally you could pick up the phone or, you know, ping them on LinkedIn and say, I'm coming into your city and I want to hang out. Uh, it's literally like that. And I don't know anything else really like that. And I found it to be just an incredible network uh, on so many levels and something that's sorely needed to our point earlier that, you know, if we can find each other, then we can have each other's backs. We can create opportunities with and for each other and we can role model um, you know our lives so that others can see what's possible for themselves so please check out lbwomen.org amazing and thank you for that hug I want you to know that I'm sure the community is hugging you back big time <laughs> big hugs and squeezes and kisses because you are you. Uh, really standing up for us in, in a very powerful way and we're all so grateful for that I know I speak on behalf of everyone to say so Thank you, Jordana. All right, we'll talk soon. Thank you. And now I would love to hear from you. We covered a whole lot of things in this interview, but I'm curious. What of the many things we talked about was the most impactful for you? Head on over to the blog at womenwantingwomen.com and tell us not just why you found it insightful, but what actions can you take right now to start putting it into practice in your life? Either way, make sure that you head over to womenwantingwomen.com and sign up for my email list to become a Jordana Michelle Insider, because when you do, you'll get instant access to an email training series I created to help you get started attracting the love that you long for, because I know that wherever she is, wherever that woman is that is going to make you complete and happy who you're going to spend your life with, if you don't already know her, then wherever she is right now, she is missing you just as much as you miss her. And you owe it to her to start taking the steps to find her. 
So sign up for my email list for all of that and also for some exclusive content and special giveaways and some personal updates from me that I just don't share anywhere else. And if you're interested in finding your soulmate so that you could be best friends who learn together and grow together and share your dreams together and have adventures and amazing sex together, then there are tons of free resources for you on womenwantingwomen.com that you're going to want to download, including a guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a how-to guide for finding your lesbian soulmate, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet, and a report that explains the three biggest mistakes that most women make when coming out and how you can avoid them. On top of that, I also offer a free matchmaking survey that any lesbian or bisexual or queer-identified female could fill, fill out so that I can keep you in mind while I'm meeting and working with the amazing women that I'm constantly connecting with through the work that I do in our community. I'm always trying to set women up, and I might know the perfect match for you. So go find my survey and tell me about yourself so that I can help. All of this is free on my website at womenwantingwomen.com. Go check it out for yourself and share it with any other LGBT women that can benefit from what I'm offering there. Until next time, don't forget that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing and wherever she is right now, she's missing you just as much as you miss her. Thank you so much for listening and I'll talk to you next time on Women Wanting Women. <laughs>